When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray. O Lord, in the midst of all that we have going on, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of joy, in the midst of a Sunday in fall, we pray that you would speak to us through these words of Scripture. Remind us who we are. Remind us that you are for us. Remind us that you have called us. And now may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our mighty redeemer. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the impression that somebody was out to get you, that somebody was after you. Sometimes that impression is incorrect. We're just a bit paranoid, but as any good psychiatrist will tell you, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean nobody's out to get you. Well, it's true that there are a lot of people who are out to get Jesus. And as he has entered into Jerusalem, the fact is, they're really after him. The fact is, as Holy Week plays out, there are these characters, these characters that are not usually ones that come together in unity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, for example. The Pharisees believed in angels, believed in resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees are often at each other's throats, but when it comes to Jesus, they find, find, they find a common enemy that finally allows them to work together. Last week, when we talked about paying taxes, we had the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians were loyal to Herod, while the Pharisees wanted to place a hedge around the law so that all of God's people would be holy and not transgress the law. Usually they didn't get along, but when it comes to opposing Jesus, they're really after Jesus, and enemies had become fast friends. Let's place this into a bit of context here. Jesus had come in and he had told the story of two sons. The first son, the father said, go out and work in the field. The son said, I will, but he didn't. The father said to a second son, go out and work into the field. And the son said, I will not, but later he changed his mind and he did. While 
his brother played Xbox with friends. The two sons. And then suddenly the Pharisees recognize that Jesus is talking about the invitation to follow God. And they were offended and all of a sudden there was this tension that began to build. As if that weren't enough, Jesus told a parable about wicked tenants. A man had a vineyard. People had leased the vineyard from him. And because they had leased the vineyard from him, he called for an accounting. He called for the money to be paid. And he sent his servants, and they beat his servants up. And he sent more servants, and they beat them up. And finally, he sent a son saying, surely they will respect my son, but the son they beat and they killed. What will the father do to these wicked tenants? And suddenly, the leaders of the people recognize that Jesus has told a story about them and against them, and the tension begins to build. Then there's the wedding banquet. A lot of people are invited to this wedding banquet and they come up with all sorts of excuses. I'm waiting for the grand opening of my garage door. I just got a new toothbrush and needs to see how much plaque it can remove. Some of the excuses are good, some are not. But the king who has invited all of these people to his son's banquet says, go out into the streets and compel them to come in. Let anyone and everyone who will come be a part of this banquet. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians recognized that Jesus was speaking against them. The Herodians and the Pharisees tried to trick him by asking about paying taxes. Do we pay taxes or not? The Herodians, who were loyal to Herod and thus also to Caesar, certainly believed in paying all the taxes that you could. The Pharisees, who were not particularly loyal to the house of Herod or to Caesar, would have had a different opinion on the tax question. And Jesus says to them, well, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's image. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. By the way, you are made in the image of God. You belong to God. The Sadducees have come up and the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection present this ridiculous scenario in which Leveret marriage, this practice in the Old Testament that if a brother dies, it is his brother's responsibility to carry on his brother's family, say, well, there are seven brothers. And each of them, in turn, married this one woman. Now, we might think after the second or the third brother had died, there's a black widow at work here. All seven of them died. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus says to them, you don't understand the resurrection, nor do you understand the Scriptures. And by the way, you're wrong about this. 
eternal life thing because God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, not the dead. You are quite uninformed. Can you imagine how the Sadducees felt when Jesus said, you don't know the Scriptures. You know, every now and then, a couple of times a year, somebody probably knocks on your door and wants to tell you wants to tell you about their faith. There's a particular faith that you know who I am talking about. And uh, one day, I was in my garage in Florence, Kentucky, and I was angry. You, you might notice that I often get angry in my garage. It's <laughs> no accident because there are all sorts of things in there. There are yard instruments that won't crank. There are uh, all kinds of things that you have to do. But I was changing the oil in my car, and I always drive my car so that the oil will be hot. And somehow I had hot oil all the way down my arm, and I was just mad when someone... One of these representatives knocked on the door of my garage. And I opened the door, obviously mad. And they said, What do you believe God's vision for the world is? I said, This conversation can be over this quickly. I believe in the Trinity and you don't. And we could spend a lot of time talking, but ultimately we're not going to agree on theology. And these two dear ladies said to me, oh, you don't understand the Scriptures. <laughs> that was not the right thing to say to me. At that particular point when I was changing my oil and I was obviously angry and they ended up running back to their car because I began to uh, tell them um, about the Trinity. And they, you know, I would have loved them. If, if, their, if their tire had been flat, I would have fixed it for them. I would, have, I would have taken it off and put another one on. I would have been as kind as I knew to be, all the while knocking on their car and saying, do you believe in the Trinity? Here's why you should. Jesus had said to the Sadducees, you don't understand the Scriptures. And they were just angry, angry at them. And so the Pharisees decide to take a stab at this. And one of them, trying to get him to say something that could begin an argument, one of them said, well, what is the most important commandment? Out of all of the Torah, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus, simply brilliant teacher that he is, goes straight for the Torah and begins with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, both of them recognized the authority of the Torah. And so first of all, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The other translation of that you know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then, Jesus says, but wait. There's a second that's like it, and he begins quoting from everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, whenever I read this in Leviticus, and I try to read Leviticus at least once a year, when I get to this point, and I think about grudge holding and vengeance, and then I see this part that Jesus pulls out when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting here, and then the end of the verse. Why should I love my neighbor as myself? Why should I not hold a grudge? Why should I not seek vengeance? Because I am the Lord, God says. Because I say so, God says. And Jesus pulls from these two texts. First of all, he emphasizes this love for God. There's one philosopher that says it's unfair for God to ask for our love. Love is something that is, that is chosen freely. It's not as if someone can walk up to you in Kroger and say, you are to love me unconditionally and we not feel that they belong in an insane asylum. Once in Franklin, Kentucky, we had a visitor at church. And this visitor found me before church. He says, I am here to visit your church. And whether you know it or not, you and I are going to be best friends. Our families are going to vacation together. We are going to be all over each other all the time. I don't think so. Don't think it's going to happen. One philosopher says, loving God... This command to love God is an unfair command. It's an unfair thing to ask that we love God. And I suppose and presume that for some of us, loving God comes more naturally than for others. And yet I think that loving God comes from a place of gratitude often. You know, if you, if you learn how to meditate, part of meditation is this gratefulness. And for those who practice a secular kind of meditation, there is, there is a gratitude to the universe. As a Christian, I say that you and I may offer a gratitude to the God who made us and is the giver of all good gifts. There's a gratitude that's appropriate because we woke up breathing this morning. There's a gratitude that's appropriate because good coffee exists. There is a gratitude that is appropriate when you brush your teeth and it feels so good and smells so good. There's a gratitude that's appropriate when you take your grandson or granddaughter into your arms hold that child there's a gratitude that's appropriate when you and your best friend have a conversation you think is going to last about 15 minutes and three hours later the two of you have shared life with each other there is a gratitude and anytime you and I want to say thank you we have one it is appropriate to thank the one who made us who saves us, the one who is present with us. And that gratitude, dear friends, that gratitude 
can turn to love. That love for God that is a gift for God. If, if you have a hard time loving God, you can be honest with Him. Lord, it's difficult for me. I can't see You. I can't sense You. I can't understand You. Please give me a love for You. And you would be shocked at the ways that God can answer and will answer that prayer. Love the Lord your God with. Okay, we're not going to go through textual criticism here, but in Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting from, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might. If you're reading in Mark, which is my favorite formulation of this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're reading from the Gospel of Luke, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you want to talk about where these come from and how the differences in language appear uh, throughout different Gospels, we can do that at another time. But for now, it's enough to say that what God is calling for is a total, full self-love for Him. God is calling you to love Him with everything you've got. With your heart. The seed of your emotions. With your mind. All the best of your intellect. With your strength. Whatever strength God has given you with your spirit, this gift of life that God has breathed into us. It is a total, full love for the Lord. But wait, there's more, Jesus says. Can't you just see? Can't you just see the, the lawyer who say, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus is quoting the Shema, like the, the great profession of faith in Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And the guy who's asking the question is probably about to say, great answer, and Jesus says, hold on. I'm not finished. Love for God and love for neighbor. A second is like it. Just like Jill said in her children's message, it's two sides of the same coin. It's two sides of the same heart. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, it's not a choice between loving God and loving others. These two loves naturally coexist and they form the basis of the Christian faith. They form the basis of what it means to be a believer who offers herself or himself to God wholly and fully. They form the essence of what it means to be Christian. Let me pull two scenes from the New Testament. The first, after the resurrection, 
You see, Jesus and Peter have had a misunderstanding. Jesus has said to Peter, Before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter has said, No way will I deny you. And, of course, you know how the story goes. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Well, this is the scene in which Peter gets to say yes, yes, yes for every no that he has spoken earlier. But I want you to pay attention to how love for God and love for people come together here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And a second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. One who loves Jesus will love Jesus' people. You see, it's not one or the other, love for God or love for people. It's both. One who loves Jesus will love Jesus' people. The second scene I want to point to is also very familiar to us. This is the words, these are the words that we often hear. The king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. One who loves people loves God. There's not this dichotomy between loving God and loving people. The two go together hand in hand and it all hangs on love. This is a great translation, by the way. The, the translation that we read when, when Jesus says, quite simply, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's the same word as Jesus hanging on the cross as something hanging from a string. On all these, 
on these two commandments, the law and the prophets hang. On these two commandments that have one word in common, agape, love. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor. You see, this is the primary characteristic of the Christian. This characteristic of love, and to the degree that our lives are formed by love. Now, let me remind you that love is more than just an emotion or a feeling. Love is a verb. When someone says, well, I just don't love my wife anymore, they're talking about a feeling. They're not talking about this act of commitment day after day for better, for worse, in sickness and in health till death do us part. They're talking about this, this feeling which comes and goes with whether you have indigestion or a migraine. But no, this agape love is a love that is chosen, is a love that is acted out. Now, by the grace of God... When we choose to love someone, when we pray that God will give us love, God does pour something else into our hearts. You've probably got five or six people, I know I do, over the last 25 years. There are five or six people that I have found it really hard to love. Almost impossible to love. And I'm honest with God about that. I will say, Lord, I pray for so-and-so because you have told me to pray for my enemies. Because you have prayed, you've told me to pray for those who persecute me. I have a hard time with it. I'm honest. I'm honest with God. But you know what happens after I pray that? Uh, sometimes for months. One time for like years I prayed that. God did something inside of me that turned intense dislike into a little bit of affection. A little bit of love. It all hangs on love. That's what Christians are called to be. Christians are called to be those who love, who agape, love God and others. Now, there are a lot of other things that can characterize you and me right now in, in this pandemic season, in this election season, in this time when we're frustrated with other people. There are a lot of things that can characterize us. We can be mad, we can be disappointed, we can be sad, but hear me. Christians love. And if we are to be the kind of people that God calls us to be, then our primary act our primary way of being is love. Maybe today, 
you understand that something else has taken the place of love in your heart. Maybe it's frustration, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's this intense dislike for those who look different than you or who are going to vote in a way that you're not going to vote. Maybe something else has taken over your heart. Hear the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Maybe your neighbor irritates you, not the one necessarily that lives next door. But you know the neighbor I'm talking about. The one you'd never go on vacation with. You wouldn't go out to eat with. And you wouldn't invite over for tea on your front porch. But there's something in your heart that is impure and unholy. And God is calling you God is calling you to take that impurity and unholiness and pray that that would be overcome, overwhelmed by love. It all hangs on love. The law, the prophets, it all hangs on love. And the primary characteristic of followers of Jesus is that they love God and they love others. And to the degree that you love God and others, you are a follower of the Lord. And to the degree that you don't, God is not yet finished with you. I pray that this afternoon you'll take some time to think about where it is that your heart is. Whether your heart is loving, whether your heart is kind. Whether your heart has hatred or whether your heart is at peace. Because God has made us for these two loves. We were created for nothing less than this. To love God and each other. And to the degree that we miss those loves, we miss God's intention for our lives. Will you be one in whom this call to love is made whole so that the Lord's work may be done in you and seen through you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.